So I remember sitting in school, uh, Dan was probably in front of me on the other side of the classroom, and I remember them discussing that to become a clinical expert, research showed it took about five years of practice to truly become that expert and develop the clinical reasoning and rationale that's required of an expert. Uh, that's great. That's awesome. Cool. Okay, I got five years and I'll be really good at stuff. So what, what are these items? What are the actual skills that go into becoming a clinical expert? What are the topics they don't talk about in school that you need to know to become a quote-unquote expert? Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Therapist in Motion podcast series. Again, I want to extend a huge thank you to Greg Johnson and Ryan Johnson from the Institute of Physical Art who are joining us this evening to shed some clinical pearls and wisdom and comedy and laughs and even a little bit of scotch. <laughs> so I do have bad news for those listening. Um, I am more than five years out. Well, I've done some very, very cool things and I'm very happy with some of the successes I've had. I don't particularly feel like I've reached expert status quite yet. <laughs> Plenty of learning to be done still. So I just want to throw right into the question, you know, Greg, what are some attributes that you see that might not be discussed typically in school that you really need to develop uh, to continue your growth as a clinician? You know, Paul, there's probably many attributes we need as physical therapists. Uh, that is the one of the faults of our educational system is not preparing as mentally uh, psychologically and spiritually for being a healthcare provider, for being in that setting. How do I get ready for that? You know, I walked into my first patient and I, I, I was, it was fear and trepidation. It's, is, am I going to survive this day? You know, it wasn't about, am I going to really help somebody? It was, how do I avoid failure? And a lot of my early years, Despite the fact that I was in an amazing clinical setting at Kaiser Vallejo studying under Maggie Knott, was spent trying to avoid failure as being a foundational principle. And there were several different occurrences that helped change that. Uh, and sometimes the lack of progress that I was making and also sometimes the lack of recognition of my role in my patient's progress. Uh, and the first one that I'm going to talk about is intention. Uh, intention is something that has been well studied right now. In the area of sports, we really have studied a lot about how certain athletes that excel don't do it just because of talent, they do it because of intention. Uh, the Super Bowl last year, Tom Brady not only threw those passes, I think he caught them. <laughs> you know, that is a level of intention that is unbelievable. There's a book called The Rise of Superman, and I'd recommend it to a lot of our readers, listeners. And that is a book in which they look at extreme athletes, most of them when they do their performance, risk death. And the process of studying them led to starting to understand that each one of these athletes to accomplish this dangerous task had to be go into a zone. And most of them described it as, I can't be thinking about 
the future and I can't be thinking about the past, but I need to be in the present, observing each aspect of that activity as it's going on so that I am only in the present. And that book really spoke to me because it is that kind of attribute that I learned from watching Maggie. Uh, earlier in this pot, in a previous podcast, I shared how sometimes Maggie could get results that I couldn't. And a lot of times I really didn't think that she did it any better than me. But there was a quality about her that accomplished it. And what I'd have to say is that quality is the is having intention to accomplish something. Now, for me at that time, when I intended to accomplish something, I had to achieve it, that the intention was about the goal. What I learned from Maggie is that the intention wasn't about the goal, it was about the process. She could completely fail in what she was doing and she could intend as much to get the results on that next patient. So I would say that is an attribute that we as physical therapists need to learn. Are we holding back, contributing 100% of who we are to that patient because of fear of failure? Because of not being able to risk that we don't achieve the goal? And for many of us, one time we reach out and we pour our hearts out to these patients. We just really care for them. And they come back and really don't like us. And we're afraid on that next person to do the same thing because the process is about us and not about them. When our intention is about us, it's about us achieving a goal. When our intention is about them, it is about us entering into a process to serve them. And that intention is the process that allows us to achieve that goal. That was so important for me. And I was able to be able to feed into that aspect and start developing it to where now it just almost natural when I'm touching a patient to be able to be completely with them and to have the absolute intention that I'm going to accomplish it kind of frees up my brain. It allows me to have that whole logical part of my brain working where I take every fact that I know, where I am looking at all of the, the history, the subjective, the objective, what I have felt, what I've seen, Combining that together with a more innate quality, which is an intuition. And that's the other attribute that I'd really recommend that our listeners try to gain, is that science now has shown that we have innate knowledge. That our brains only have a small component of it that's accessible by our cerebral cortex, our thinking parts of our brain, the ones that we analyze that we have whole other areas of our body that are and our mind that are capable of providing information to us from our past experiences that we don't necessarily can have access to th thinking but 
those that knowledge and wisdom can come through if you allow it. Uh, I always think of a story that Malcolm Gladwell tells in his book, Blink. And it's about a firefighter. And he's leading in his firefighters into this, into this fire. And the minute he gets into this building, he immediately yells to him to get out. And the minute they get out, the whole house explodes into flames. Later on into conversations, as I remember the story, he kind of attributes it to, well, I just had a sense. I just had something that told me to get out. Maybe God talked to me. And later on, they spent much more time helping him to analyze it. And he realized how he put together in a flash, in a blink, all of the information that was happening inside that building. He felt everything. He could tell the temperature. He could, he could see what was happening on the walls. He knew from his past experiences, his pattern recognition, that it was not safe, but he didn't know how he knew. What I want to clarify from you, what I want to clarify is, is you're talking about innate knowledge and... This knowledge is not innate as we were born with it. This knowledge is innate. I think what you're trying to say is this is learned knowledge that comes from experiences that may not be cognitive, that may not be something yeah. where we have recognized that we've had that experience or even have a mental note of that experience. But somewhere deep inside subconsciously, that experience is logged in and tapping into that uh, ability to have that intuition comes after having a lot of experiences. Would you disagree with that statement? No, I think that that is accurate. But I would say there's times as a story I'm going to tell that you actually know things that you don't know how you know them. And I would say that I've never discovered how I know them. There are times I truly know something that I can't describe. And if I was afraid to allow that part of my brain to function, if I cognitively suppressed it, I wouldn't know those things. But yes, our past experience is an essential part of it. And we may not even know when that experience was, but a part of us does that helps us to come to answers and resolutions. Right. And I'll let you get to your story because that's going to be far more interesting than me talking. But we'll see. What 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 you're saying doesn't... Uh, negate any of what I'm trying to say, which is you might not recall whatever gave you the experience or the knowledge in the past that allows you to know that. That doesn't mean that there may not have been something there. And, and trying to dig in and trying to rationalize and trying to find the reason to everything is just sort of useless. I mean, you could try to analyze every single thing you do in your life and it could get exhausting. But the, the point being is, is, is letting trusting in that gut sense that you have as they talk about and blink and, and knowing that, that there is something more than your cognitive mind that can give you uh, direction in, in making decisions. Yep. And, and I feel like that's where you're going. It, it, so it's not always got to be something that's supernatural or something that is out of, you know, this physical experience yeah, of us right. it, it very well may be something that's a physical experience but you just might not remember yeah. but it's subconscious still trust it that's right thank you Ryan.
And I think a little bit of what I'm hearing too is that intention and intuition are not on-off switches. Right. They are developed skills. They are learned skills. Whether it's like Ryan said, a, an openness to listening exactly. to that intention, like you talked about before. I said the intuition, like you talked about before. The the intention is something where you've gotten to a point, you've developed to a point where now, with the patient, you feel that you are 100 percent of the time, 100 percent there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to make a comment here because before Greg gets into his story, um, that. <clears throat> You've gotten to the point, like Paul alluded to, that you can do it with every patient every time. I wish I could, but... Or more times than not, right? That's absolutely right. But that came with honest mental preparation, mental preparedness, and being ready for that patient that day. And you probably started early on with those two stories you shared earlier about the woman that you helped achieve pregnancy and the woman that you relieved the coccidinia pain on that that might have been all that your brain was able to handle that day was mentally preparing your intention and your intuition for that one patient on that day and then you were mentally gassed afterwards and you may have not provided the same level or the same quality of care to the patient you saw after and that's that doesn't mean that you weren't still trying to help them but it wasn't with the same preparedness and effort that you did for those two specific examples. But you've gotten to the point now that you've done it so frequently in how you teach and how you interact and how obviously you care for the patients that you, that you, you know, treat, whether it's directly or indirectly through your mentors or mentees, um, that you've gotten to the point where more times than not it's on but that's taken a lifetime to develop. And so that's the one thing I, before you tell and your intention. story and intention, right. Yeah. That, that before you tell your story that I want our listeners to know that you just start with one. And I think that that's been kind of a theme that we've talked about in all of our podcasts together is you got to take a step and that step may be uncomfortable, but you still got to take it. Um, so I don't want to go too far any further without you letting me tell your story, but I think we ought to take this on the road, guys. <laughs> the four of us. <laughs> I'm just ready for story time. I got. I'm pulling Are you ready for the story I'm, time? I'm good to go. <laughs> well, it. I'm sure there's lots of stories each of us have in our lives about transformational paradigm shifts, occurrences. It's when you meet your stinking thinking. It's when you recognize that how you have been living isn't working as well as it could. And it's that openness. And, and, and sometimes I have to be drug into a place where I recognize those attributes that I'm not making changes in. The first one I'm going to really talk about has it to do with intention. And it was, it was a multiplicity experience that I had watching Maggie one day. Uh, Maggie rarely treated patients but when she did it would come up on the schedule and I would make sure that whatever patient I had at that time I was going to take that patient at another time and I would go stand outside Maggie's door she couldn't ever figure out how come Greg showed up at her door but for me I had to watch her I had to see process I had to figure out how she could do what I couldn't. 
What about her was so special? She was just, she just did things that just blew me away. And on this one day, she was had back-to-back treatments, two half-hour treatments. And in Kaiser Vallejo at that time, there was this long hallway with all these individual treatment rooms about it. And she was right in the middle of the hallway in this, this treatment room. She liked to close her door, but when I was there, I would always open it. You know, I would drive her crazy so that I could stand there and watch her. And she always had a twinkle in her eyes, but it just, she'd always shake her head. Why is he out there? Well, I was standing there watching her just treat this young scoliotic patient with neck pain. And she had done some PNF patterns on her neck and the girl was saying, oh, I'm feeling a lot better. And I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, how does she do this? Then she did something I had never seen her do before. She had the young woman sit with her leg right on a corner of the table with one leg on one side, the other leg on the other. And she stood in front of her and rotated her back and did this rotational thrust and got all these pops up and down her spine. And the first wave worked really well. But then she went the second way and did this big Maggie movement and this woman screams. I mean, it was a scream that was heard throughout Kaiser Rehabilitation Center in Vallejo. This woman started, fell off the table, was lying on the floor, and she was yelling at the top of her voice at Maggie, just calling her every name that I've ever heard called anybody. Now, had that been me, I would have fallen apart. I knew at that point that I would have not made it. But what I got to watch was something that changed the way I view what a professional is. Because Maggie immediately says, I'm sorry. She walks out, gets on the phone, calls the emergency room, and they come up and pick this lady up in a, on a gurney as she's still screaming. But the story that really comes through is Maggie never once appeared to care what any of us thought. She didn't walk into the hallway and look at me and say, boy, I really blew it. She didn't look at me and and have that look like I'm sorry or anything else. She even didn't care that there were all the patients and physical therapists in that facility standing in that hallway watching this scene and sitting in wheelchairs of this woman screaming at Maggie. And all of a sudden I realized I couldn't do that. Had I made that mistake, I do not have the internal fortitude, the character, the strength of will to apologize, to do what's right, and not care what other people think. Not only that, sitting in the hallway out there was her next patient who just happened to be a Supreme Court Justice, ex-Supreme Court Justice. Now, how would you actually approach it if you now had them watch this scene of this woman being taken out of your room in a gurney? Maggie just didn't even say anything to him. She says, come on in, and he went in. And I got to stand there shaking in my boots, thanking God that I didn't have to go treat a patient right now after that. And I watched her do magic. That's when I realized that 
I didn't have yet developed what it takes to truly be a professional. She was able to make a mistake, to do what was right, overcome it, not care what other people thinks, and go to her next patient and do magic. That's intention. That's focus. That's being in the present. And that's doing what's right. And I don't think at that time, and I don't even know today, that I'd have quite that capacity to not care what other people think if I did something like that. So that's story one. It's a good one. Changed my life. I really directed differently after that. A couple years later, I was still at Kaiser Vallejo. Now, I'd gone into physical therapy because I wanted to treat CP children. And so I told Maggie at the beginning, you know, send me all the CP kids. I want to be a CP therapist. After about six months of seeing CP kids, I realized they all cried when I touched them. They all got more spastic. I wasn't successful on any of them. They didn't like me. I particularly didn't like them. And I didn't want to see any more CP kids. And here I am looking at my schedule one morning, and here it says, Eduardo, spastic CP. Oh, no. Outpatient. I tell you, I had these horror stories still in my mind of the ones that would, you know, I'd have to take them in a back room and close the door because they just wouldn't quit crying with me. I was sure that it was me. Scary Greg. (laughs) So all of a sudden, I'm waiting at 2 o'clock for Eduardo to show up, and he hasn't shown up yet. Thinking, oh, thank God, they're not going to show up. I'm free. And then all of a sudden, from around the corner in this same hallway that Maggie had uh, treated this young woman in, I hear this screaming baby. And I go, oh no. And so around the corner, I see a sight that horrified me. This young girl is carrying this baby out in front of her with her arms just straight out in front of her and he is so spastic that he's in full extension he is just screaming and she's got her head turned away from him as she's walking I go up to her and I introduce myself and she says where do you want him and she walked inside the treatment room and dumped him on the table and went and sat down Oh, my God. Not only could I tell she was a very young woman, but I could tell that she was overwhelmed. And she, her only knowledge of what to do was to withdraw from the situation. And that's what she had done. She just withdrew. Well, I've got to tell you, Greg Johnson, 25 years old, having never dealt with family counseling and learned anything to deal with this situation, was out of his league. There's no way that I have any knowledge of what to do with it. So I took a couple deep breaths and started moving Eduardo, to which he successfully cried louder. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I was 
just there and probably five minutes into it, she still is sitting there with her arms crossed, her legs crossed. And I can't say that it was a voice, but it was an impression. And the impression was, he's not the one who needs to be treated, now she is. She's the one who needs the attention. And I've got to tell you, I, I stepped back and I said to that voice, I really don't know what to do. But I jumped off the bridge and I just opened up communications. And all of a sudden I felt my heart just go reach out to her. And I started saying things that I had no knowledge of how I said them or how what was it inside of me that let him come out. But I was an observer of the rest of this conversation. And I just basically started out and I and out of my mouth came something like, this is really tough for you. And immediately she started crying. And uh, I, I said, what's going on? And she said, well, you just won't believe it. I got pregnant and my parents told me that I had to have an abortion or I'd have to move out of the house. And I still well up with this. And so I have him and that's God's punishment. So here's a young woman who believed that she was being punished by a young CP that she gave birth to that her parents would not accept as a son. And she was basically living with friends in a tough situation. The dialogue just opened up from there. And the things I said and what it brought out of her was just amazing. And what was amazing is I'm still treating Eduardo and the kid is softening up and I'm starting to get there and he's not crying. He's looking at his mother crying over there. And all of a sudden I realize I'm in the presence of something here that's magic, that's, that's important. I don't want to mess it up. And so I just stayed in that space. And she eventually says, what can I do for him? And I, Basically, as I remembered, I said, well, first of all, you just really need to let yourself to fall in love with him, to really love him, to care for him. He's not your curse. He's your blessing. And she says, but what do I need to do? And I said, well, I explained to her spasticity, and I explained to her about how to inhibit it, and I explained to her that all her job was between now and next time I saw her was to get Eduardo to relax, to be able to fold up, to be able to, to let go. She says, I, I don't know that I can do that, but I will. So the next week, she scheduled one week later. She came all the way from Berkeley to Vallejo each time. I don't hear her walking down the hall and I don't hear Eduardo, but around the corner, I see this apparition almost. Here she is, she walks around the corner and Eduardo's just completely rolled up in her arms and she's looking in his eyes. And she walks up to me and she's just beaming 
And uh, she spent the next half hour teaching me more than I could have ever learned from Berta Bobath, from Maggie Knott, from any of the great CP treaters on how to treat Eduardo. Here was a young girl, probably 17 years old, who loved enough, and I somehow gave her the freedom to explore, to achieve a goal. I gave her a goal, and she achieved it at a level that was unbelievable to me. She taught me over those next few visits more about how to treat CP than I had ever learned before. And I think that was life-changing for me because I believed you had to have a degree to treat somebody with PT. I believed that I had all these skills and a young woman with love was able to achieve the difference. And what was amazing is that over the next couple of weeks, her family came into her life again. Uh, she got a job and her life just all of a sudden turned around. And I'm not sure that I had a lot to do with that, but I was in the presence when it happened. And I was willing to be part of that process. That's my second story. <laughs> I, I pray to God there's a third story because I don't know how to follow that up. Um, so I'm just going to sit back and hope that you have a further follow-up. <laughs> no, I, I mean, like Dan said, I mean, just the, the amazing power of the stories. Hopefully people are, are listening and thinking, God, you know, this is just something to strive for. And something like I said, just be open to. Take the step. I've heard... Take a step off, uh, take, jump off the bridge, dive in. Everything's come back. Just put yourself out there. Give yourself a chance. Whether it's just feeling within the presence and just running with it or willing to take a chance or willing to sound crazy, but just put yourself out there and amazing what might follow if you're open to the opportunity and open to succeeding in that capacity. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think I've heard that, that story before. I don't remember which course it was, but that you know that that's definitely an extremely powerful story um i just want to take a moment in in closing um to thank both of you guys for taking the time to to podcast with us and you know for us to continue to develop our our relationships and and be familiar with each other um, i definitely want to to thank our owner tim spooner for his willingness to um, and his challenge to us on a regular basis to take that step and to better ourselves um, and to truly give the support to Paul and I in our job as well as all of our therapists within our company to, to better ourselves and support that with his heart and with his business philosophy and his money um, to allow us to go and take courses from, from you guys um, and have these opportunities to, to, to be able to better ourselves and our therapists and hopefully the profession. Um, I feel incredibly blessed to have this opportunity. Um, I know that's the second time we've been able to podcast with you, Greg, and hopefully we will, that, that the second time will not be the last and hopefully the first time will not be the last for you, Ryan. Um, I just, you know, I, I really struggle to put into words what I actually feel for the gratitude for the opportunity, um, which some people may say it's surprising that I can't come up with the words. Um, but 
you know, it's, it's just, it's very special. Um, and it's something that I will hold close to me for a very long time. So, um, yeah, thank you both. I, I echo Dan's sentiments before we close up. I just want to say, do either of you, Greg or Ryan have any last words or thoughts you just want to put out there? I'd only say to everyone out there that, uh, if you allow it to be every patient, every moment and every day can have a story that can change your life and theirs. All right. Well, uh, in closing, again, if you guys have any feedback for us, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Thank you.